Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Many people are intrigued by and even interested in Jesus, but they feel that his followers have not really given a very good example of what he's like. And so they're turned off by the church and Christians, but they're still intrigued by and open to Jesus. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, in a message titled, The First Christians. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Women were given a place of equality and honor in the home and and in the community that really didn't exist in the ancient world. Now, among the Jews, there was a certain amount of honor that went to the women. And of course, under just strictly the Old Testament, there was some honor. But you have to remember that the, the group in the New Testament called the Pharisees, they had created all of these other extra biblical rules and things that really were in some many cases they there was a bias against women and and maybe you've heard this before but one of the things that the devout Jew would pray in the morning you know beginning you know with thank you God I'm not a Gentile the very second thing on the list was thank you God I'm not a woman so you know this was the attitude among the Jews and among the the rest of the culture among the Greeks especially it was much, much worse than that, as bad as that was. There was no respect for the marriage covenant. Men were pretty much free to move about and engage sexually with whoever they wanted to. The women were oftentimes, you know, kept back from the pursuits that they might want to engage in, and and all of that was happening there. So so now here's a new community with, with a different thing happening for women, And also, in this new community, there is a love for family, especially children. And this is different. So again, the family in in this culture would have, you know, more positive in in coming from the Jewish side, but out in the larger culture, the family was, it was more utilitarian. It was just like, well, you know, this unit, we sort of need this, you know, for the purposes of you know, continuing to exist as a family, but there wasn't a strong emphasis on the love component. Children were not highly valued or prized in the culture in general, but now this new group of people, they are the ones who began to oppose infanticide. Infanticide was basically the ancient method of abortion where rather than, you know, ripping a child from its mother's womb, the child would be born and then they would just take the child and place it in the elements to die of, you know, cold or heat or starvation or whatever. That was very, very common. Very, very much a common practice in the first century AD. Plus, they also took care of the widows and the orphans, which again was not something that was common in those days, somewhat among the Jews, but not so much among the the other groups. Their work ethic was different because uh, with them, it was motivated by their desire to bless others rather than just simply to get rich 
or to use their wealth uh, on themselves. So it was a desire to bless others as well as to glorify God. So in all of these ways, there was just a radical difference. You could see the difference. They were living the life that Jesus had both modeled in many ways and, and also taught them. But the primary thing that set the church apart from the culture was love. So here's this community where people love each other. And again, here's, here's the real distinctive thing. They're not from the same ethnicities. They're not from the same national backgrounds. Of course, you could find love in those kinds of contexts. The Jews very much, in a sense, you know, sort of loved each other because they had the commonality of the Jewishness. But in this group, you have people that are, are different. They're from different nations. They're from different ethnicities. They're from different cultures. They're from different classes. And yet, they love each other. They treat one another equally. They seek to treat one another fairly. One of the biblical pictures of the church is that of a nation whose citizens love each other. Now, the Bible gives us several pictures of the church trying to get us to see, you know, just exactly what God has in mind for us. So, of course, Paul talks about the church being the body of Christ. Scripture talks about the church being the bride of Christ. But Scripture also talks about the church being its own nation. Peter says, you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a special people. And so it is a nation of people who love one another. They express that love by helping each other, encouraging each other, building one another up, looking out for their neighbor, putting the needs of others before themselves. And again, they're people from all of these diverse backgrounds. They're living in, uh, together and loving and serving one another with joy. And so that's what the church was, this, this church in Antioch. And it was the same if you went to Thessalonica. It was the same if you went to Rome. And that picture is not only communicated to us in the pages of the New Testament, but many who observed the church in those days and wrote about what they saw. This was the, the thing that stood out most of all. It was their love. One writer from the second century, a philosopher named Aristides, he wrote this. He said concerning the Christians, he said, they seek to persuade their servants or handmaids or children to become Christians by the love they have for them. And when they have become so, they call them without distinction brothers. They walk in all humility and kindness and they love one another. When they see a stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as over a true brother. For they do not call brothers those who are after the flesh, but those who are in the spirit and in God. Such is the law of the Christians and such is their conduct. So here's a non-Christian philosopher looking at the, the Christian community and saying, you know, the thing that stands out about them is they, they, they have this love for each other. Listen to the words of the Emperor Julian, who was absolutely no fan of the Christian church. In his day, he found it difficult, much more difficult than he had expected, to put new life into the traditional Roman religion. So he wanted to 
do his best to, to kind of remove the influence of Christianity from the culture. This is in the middle 300s. So the church has been around for, you know, 350 years or so. He wanted to reverse all of that. And he sought to revive the traditional Roman religion and to set aside Christianity. But he saw clearly the drawing power of Christian love as his biggest obstacle to his objective. He said this, these are his words, atheism, that was what he called Christianity because, you know, for them, they believed in this multiplicity of gods. Christians obviously did not. So they were referred to as atheists by the emperor. And he says, um, atheism has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. Listen to this. He said, it is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. While those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. (laughs) So he's like, you know, we're going to have a really tough time reinstituting the ancient Roman religions unless we can come up with something greater than the love of the Christians. Because they don't just love themselves, they love others. And our people, looking to us for help, they, we, don't, we don't deliver it. So this was one, one of the huge distinctions that there was among this group of people. So here in Antioch, as this church gets established, and as more and more people in the the community there, in the city, as more and more people are coming to faith in Jesus, those around them are looking on and wondering, you know, what, what is this? And what I want to say here is that the, the followers of Christ were, they were enigmatic. They were an enigma. In other words, they didn't fit into existing categories. The, the people outside just didn't know how to tag them. They didn't really know how to label them. They're, they're different. And, and listen, this is the beauty of the Christian life. The Christian life and the Christian message, if, if the Christian life is lived out and the Christian message is clearly proclaimed, it is a different thing. It is an enigma. It, it doesn't fit in with the preconceived categories that people have. Now, we live in a time, of course, where Christians, I think, have to some degree been stereotyped, but at the same time, I think we've lent to the stereotype. And so for many people today, you know, the minute you mention being a Christian or you say you're a Christian, you know, automatically they sort of have a category that they put you in. But that's the problem. They shouldn't be able to do that. They actually should have this kind of response. When they hear you're a Christian and they observe you or they listen to you, their response really should be, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't think Christians were like that. Wait, wait, you're, what, what do you mean you're a Christian? No, that, 
that's not typically a Christian thing, is it? <laughs> it you know, because they, they've, got, uh, they, they've got something in, in their mind that they think is a Christian. But we should be, in a sense, as we live for Jesus, we should kind of be perplexing to the people around us. They, they should not be able to really categorize us so easily. And so if we find ourselves sort of being easily put into those slots, if we find ourselves being so easily sort of categorized, I, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, are we really living like Jesus? Because these people, like I said, they, they didn't have a category for them. So they had to invent one. Said, well, I guess they're Christians. They're, they're talking about this Christ person and they're, they're living distinctly from us and they're following the teachings of Christ. So, okay, we'll call them Christians. They were an enigma and we should be an enigma as well. There was something different and a bit perplexing about them and, and that really ought to be the case with us. They were different than both the religious and the non-religious. They were different. It was kind of like, wait, where do we put these people? And they're, they're not like the religious people that we've known, self-righteous, holier-than-thou type of attitude. No, they're not like that, but, but they're certainly not the irreligious either. So, so who are they? What are they? And you could even say the same thing in regard to morals. They were different than both the moral and the immoral. Morality often leads to moralism. And moralism is basically a, a position where you hold a, a superior place to somebody because you feel that your morality is superior to theirs. So they, they weren't that either. They weren't simply moralists. There were many moralists in the culture of the day. There were many uh, who were influenced by Greek philosophy, which pretty much rejected the ancient mythologies and religions, and, and they sought to, to live a moral life but they, they could sense with these Christians, no, that wasn't it either. But they certainly were not immoral because they were not participating or engaging in the things that the, the culture generally was doing. So they were, I think, in the truest sense of what this means. They were in the world, but they were not of the world. Now think about that statement. How many of you have ever... Uh, use that before to refer to yourself as a Christian. You're in the world, but not of the world. Anybody ever use that before? Anybody ever hear that saying, hey, we're in the world, but we're not of the world? Well, you know, there's, there's actually no Bible verse that says that, but it's taken from something Jesus said. And, and it's, it's fine. It, 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 you know, kind of, you know, borrowing from what Jesus said, it's, it's kind of another way of, he didn't say it exactly, but he said something similar. So for us, we think, okay, yeah, you know, as Christians, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But I know for myself and many people that I've known over the years, we have understood being in the world as, well, we, we live on the same planet as everybody else, so we're in the world, but we're not of the world, meaning we are pretty disassociated from everybody else out in the world. And so kind of like the Jews, we end up being a bit isolationist, where we look at everything uh, out in the world and we say, okay, that's, 
that's the world, that's bad, we don't go there. So we have created our own subculture to some degree. We've created our own space. And we say, well, we're in the world, you know, we got to live here, but we're not of it. But really, if you think about that statement, and I think the biblical picture is being in the world means that you actually do live in the world. And you really do anyway. <laughs> you, you, you live in the world. You go out into the world. You engage with the world. You go off to work. You go out and shop like everybody else. Uh, you oftentimes are involved in the same activities of, you know, whether it's entertainment or sports or all those things. So, so, so we live in the world, right? And we're supposed to live in the world. We're not supposed to disengage from the world. We're supposed to be in the world so we can influence the world. But the only way we can influence the world is if we're in it, but not of it. So that's the key. So like these early Christians, they still associated with many of the, the people they would have formally associated with, but they do not engage in the things that they formally engaged in. And that in and of itself would be an opportunity to have a conversation. Hey, how come you're not doing this anymore? You know, some of you have probably had that conversation. I know I certainly had that conversation when I came to Christ and then still, you know, connected with people from my past and, and we would be there and, you know, some things we would be doing like we normally did. But then when other things started to happen, it's like, you know, they would look at me like, well, Brian, what, you know, what's going on? How come you're not doing this? Well, let me tell you, I'm following Jesus now. And as a Jesus follower, we don't do that. And they open up an opportunity to share the gospel. But they were, and we are, and we must uh, manifest this. They were Christians. They were like Christ. They were followers of Christ but they were a bit of a mystery. And that's what I want to leave us with. May we too be enigmatic followers of Christ in our generation, being called Christians, not merely because we've taken that name to ourselves, but because that's the only name others can come up with to describe us. Now, it's fine to take the name to ourselves. I mean, we do identify as Christians. But God help us to have other people identify us as Christians. God help us to have other people identify us with Jesus. Because there's a, a, a lot of confusion in the, in the current culture about who Christians are. You know, some people think Christians, and we'll throw in another word here, evangelical, you know, evangelical means proclaimers of good news. That's what evangelical means. What's the good news? The good news is the gospel. Uh, today, in the minds of many people, evangelical means uh, people who vote a certain way. <laughs> evangelical is a voting block. God help us to get away from that stuff. Well, that's not to tell you how to vote. It's just to tell you that, that that's not what we're to be identified with. No. A Christian is to be identified with Jesus. That's why they called them Christians, because they were obviously connected to Jesus. And so, if we're connected to Jesus, listen, we are going to perplex people 
at times. We're going to say things and do things that people look at and say, wait a second, I thought you were a Christian. Wait, Christians don't think that way, do they? Christians don't do that, do they? And the answer is, well, yeah, you know, didn't you know that? No, this is, this is what a Christian is. You, you might have, uh, you know, you might have an, uh, an image in your mind of what you think a Christian is, but let me, let me show you from the Bible. Let me show you from my life. No, this is, this is what a Christian is. So we're going to be perplexing. We're going to be a bit of an enigma. And, and if we're not, if, 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 if we are very stereotypical, if people already know in advance, like, oh, well, you're a Christian, and I know you think just exactly this, and this is that, and, you know, that, we need to get away from that. And if we do follow Jesus, we will indeed do that, because Jesus did that all the time. Remember, they came to Jesus with all kinds of questions. Some people came with sincere motives. Some people came with the wrong motive of wanting to entrap him. But go through the Gospels and look at how many times Jesus absolutely blew people's minds. It's like, wait, what did he say? What? No, he wasn't supposed to say that. Or, wait, what's he doing? Why is he over there? He, he shouldn't be over there. He's not supposed to be there. Well, who, who are those people that he's with? No, he's not supposed to hang around with those people. So you see, he was an enigma. And, and we will be an enigma to a certain degree as well. And of course, just for clarification, in case anybody misinterprets anything I'm saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's anything that we're going to be doing in the end in our enigmatic, uh, you know, manifestation of Christ that's going to ever contradict what Christ has said in his word. But what we have happened and what every generation of Christians has happened is, is we pick up stuff along the way that, well, wait a second, this really isn't Jesus. This is something else. This is something that we've brought on board that really doesn't have a place with us as followers of Jesus. It might not even be, uh, you know, a, a bad thing in the sense that you would look at it and go, oh my goodness, that's a horrible thing. But, but it's just an inconsistency with the way Jesus is and the way we should be as those who are following him. And this, I, I think, I'll just say this in closing. You know, this is, this is a true statement. Many people are intrigued by and even interested in Jesus, but they feel that his followers have not really given a very good example of what he's like. And so they, they're turned off by the church and Christians, but they're still intrigued by and open to Jesus. So since that is really a reality in our culture, let's break that down by being more like Jesus so that we can show them that, well, you know, those, those things that you know, you might have seen, and of course, we've all made those mistakes. The church collectively has made them. We have individually uh, made those mistakes. But let's, let's be able to say to people, you know what? Yeah, I, I understand that that's a kind of a stumbling block to you. But let me tell you, Jesus is not like that. That's not Jesus. Let me show you what he's really like. And of course, we've got the scriptures. That's the place where we're going to see him the clearest. But he wants people to be able to see him 
through our lives as we live them out as individual believers and as we live them out as a community of Christians, followers of Christ. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. The youth of today's culture, both Christian and non-Christian alike, wrestle with the issues of racism, universal truth, identity, science and faith, sexuality and suffering, just to name a few. These are essential topics that any parent, grandparent, guardian or friend should help the next generation answer. The book, 10 Questions That Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.